Good morning, everybody, here on MLB Morning Coffee. It is another Coffee Conversations. My name is Greg Mraz. We are brought to you by, well, nobody, but we are coming to you from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. We hope that you've enjoyed our What If series this week. Today, we are bringing back Coffee Conversations. I am so excited to bring on Mariners outfielder and University of Washington baseball alum, my guy, Braden Bishop. Braden, what is good this morning, man? God, dude, you got such a good recorder voice, such an announcer's voice. I love it. You know what's funny, man? It's like for you, I was not nearly the same depth of voice when you and I worked together back in 2016. And yet here you are, you've played in the big leagues and you get to be around the best of the best. And I still get that kind of compliment from you. I'm I'm honored, dude. <laughs> you just keep growing, Greg. By the way, for those of you that are listening out there, my full name is Gregory. And there's only two people in the entire world that still call me that. My mother and Braden. So <laughs> just goes to show you that uh, he has respect for the full name and, and respect for, for everybody that he works around. Braden, I've asked a lot of people this. I was talking with Luke Farrell, the Texas Rangers, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of other guys, our former teammate, Zach Littell. I should say your former teammate. I technically wasn't on the team, but regardless about what it was like when everything got shut down. So I'm going to ask you the same question. What was it like for you when everything came to a grounding halt? I mean, it was, uh, it's really hard to describe it because you would never imagine a corporation like Major League Baseball or, you know, NBA to just shut their doors. Like, you just never picture that. And it was never something that went through any of our minds. And it was such a weird, like, weird timing because you're, uh, whatever, 14 games into spring training. And everybody's getting ready and, you know, you know, uh, everybody's getting ready to leave, you know, in a couple weeks for the season. And next thing you know, you know, we get called in and they tell us what's going on. But then at the same time, no one has any idea what's going on. So you're trying to put things together. Do I leave? Do I stay? Um, and then all of a sudden it gets to like the career side where like, okay, what am I going to do for a job if we're not going to play this year? You know, can I take the hit and not get paid for another, you know, eight, 10 months. So it was like just so much unknown uncertainty. You're trying to like find certainty in like certain places and it just wasn't happening. So I think, you know, obviously once they, shut doors i think it was smart most guys went home and then tried to figure it out from there i think that when i look at this and i know that people have different viewpoints on it health and safety comes first major league baseball also wants to make sure that their bottom dollar is taken care of in your mind is there a way that baseball can play this year and ensure the safety of everybody involved I know that people like Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw have come out against certain plans that MLB has thrown out there. But what I honestly think it is, and Major League Baseball has thrown out about five different trial balloons, as I've called them already. They're just trying to throw stuff out to some of their more well-respected national writers and then see what the public reacts. So 
I mean, what is your idea for a potential season if you think they can have one? I mean, I think, yeah, the way you described it was, I think, right on in terms of the proposals being uh, given to the writers and then try to kind of feel the public out. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure if you took a poll of players, you'd probably have, I don't know exact numbers, but I'm going to say you'd probably have a good majority saying, I don't care, let's just play. And then you'd have, you know, the Clayton Kershaws and the Mike Trout's like, you know, I don't want to be away from my family like that. You know, this is, I don't know if this is going to be safe. Um, and, you know, I obviously we all want to play. You know, that's a, of course we do. You know, that's, we play, we get paid, we can support our families. But at the same time, if we do play, like whose detriment is it at? And, you know, that's something that worries me. And like, you know, I I don't have a voice like Mike Trout. So, you know, I can't like outwardly, you know, profess my thoughts on, you know, the health and safety. You know, I'm not a doctor. I haven't studied this disease. But I, you know, I do have a lot of connections through our charity with, neurologists who have literally stopped their research into the brain to try and offer help into the COVID-19 situation. So, you know, just talking with them and seeing what their thoughts are, and you know, how they are actually like worried about us going back to play. Like they just don't think it's worth it. And I mean, these are Mayo Clinic doctors and researchers, you know, a Stanford professor in neurology, you know, that are, is saying it's just not worth it, you know. So, but I do understand, you know, MLB is a business, and when you have business, it's money, and you're seeing it with the economy right now, is with everybody, you know, wanting stuff to reopen because they don't know what their business is going to look like tomorrow. So it's, I mean, it's a similar deal. And obviously you have, you know, fans who want to watch something. And again, to whose detriment though, you know, that's to the players and their families and the staff and stadium workers, stuff like that. So, you know, if they could figure out how to do it safely, then I'm all for it. But I just think by, like I said, talking to the doctors and researchers that we have connections with, it just seems kind of, far-fetched so i really really hope that nothing's forced and you know we can ensure safety like you said i know how much family means to you and i know it means a lot to every single person that plays the game of baseball that has a close family tie how much does the family aspect and being able to be close to family whether it be you know a husband and a wife a husband and a long-term girlfriend somebody with a couple of kids, how big of a factor does that play into whether or not the players union would approve any sort of marginalized plan that isn't what we perceive as normal? Yeah, I think that's probably going to be, I mean, obviously health and safety first, uh, then you're going to have the component of, okay, you know, guy has two young kids you know, does he want to be away from them for an extended period of time? You know, is it worth, is the money worth it? Um, and then, you know, you're going to have guys where it's like, okay, I'm having my baby. 
well, you know, let's say July 1st, the, the season starts. And then, you know, August 31st, he has his baby. So then does he have to quarantine for two weeks before to then go see his baby and then get quarantined for two weeks after? And then he misses a month, you know, to see his baby's birth. So it's like, you know, these are all things that I think, you know, have to be addressed because, you know, guys are human beings first. And I think that really has to be taken into account. Um, you know, so, you know, like I said, I think you have such a spectrum of guys who is, ah, screw it. I want to play. Let's go right now. You know, I'll do it anywhere at any time. And then you got guys who are like, nah, you know, I got a whole family I got to worry about, you know, is this worth it? But then again, it's like whose voice really matters. How has the work that you have done with the For Mom Foundation changed your perspective on the way that sports functions in society? Because I know that with everything that you've experienced, and for those who don't know, For Mom is the foundation that Braden and his brother Hunter run to fight the end of Alzheimer's. And I know how big of a cause this is to you. And I know that for you, there are so many things that are bigger than baseball and bigger than sports. So given all of the work that you've done, what does this do to change your perspective on sports? I mean, that's honestly what it, the whole the whole situation, like the circumstance of my mom getting sick and then I started in the charity and kind of seeing how you can affect change and serve people. Like that was the, the most perspective I've ever gained. And you hear it all the time and more so like as more research is done into performance and high performers, you know, you hear them talk about, you know, their perspective and, how they view things, view the situation, circumstances they're in, you know, and, and use their mind to like flip what they're going through. Uh, so that's exactly what this did for me. And there, I mean, there's been multiple things in my career that have brought me this perspective that, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I don't know anybody else who's, uh, whose mom is, had Alzheimer's and who's also ruptured their spleen. Uh, so, you know, I gained these where it's like, you know, in my mom's case, she's dealing with a life changing disease. Um, and then in my case with my spleen, you know, I'm dealing with life or death and the, you know, those two things <laughs> providing perspective where I kind of view one, the world, and two, sports much differently than I think other people do. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, people being safe. And because I see how fragile life is, and I just hope other people can realize that too. Because, you know, big-time life events like ones I've been through, and I mean, other people have been through it too, whether it be the passing of a, you know, a loved one, whether it be their own situations, um, you know, Tommy John, ACL, whatever it is, like you're going to gain perspective off those things. And then hopefully it, it'll drive you, you know, through life to make 
you know, different decisions than you would have before those things happen. For as long as I've known you, Braden, you have had that immensely selfless perspective. And I sincerely appreciate that about you. And I hope that anyone that's listening to this episode today understands what Braden has gone through and what Braden has done to try to improve the lives of others. And I honestly feel like there's a lot of people around the United States and maybe even around the world that need to take the perspective of selflessness instead of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm hundred <laughs> percent with you. I struggle with that because, you know, like I said, I'm super passionate about serving people and I'm super passionate about, you know, trying to provide, you know, a common ground between, you know, people who are, you know, of so-called, you know, like an athlete where it's like, oh, he's like higher class, you know, he like is more important, you know, compared to, you know, people watching at home or people who are going through like real life stuff. And, you know, why, why, what's the common ground, you know? And I, I think that's serving. And I think that's, you know, actually like truly, caring and seeing people uh you know seeing people through their eyes what they're going through and like meeting them where they're at and you know I'm super passionate about that and I'm only getting more passionate about it so uh but I do think we suffer from a severe lack of uh I don't know I don't know the exact wording we do you know lack of love lack of care Um, And I, you know, especially like in a situation in today's day and age where everything's so emotional, you know, especially with the virus and everything, you know, so many people are emotional and I think it's just showing through right now. We are here with Mariners outfielder Braden Bishop on MLB Morning Coffee. Braden, I want to turn the conversation to a bit of a happier note because we all need a little bit of joy in our life right now. I've asked a bunch of the guys that I've had on about their MLB debuts. Yours may have been the most unique because you didn't get a necessary call to the big leagues being called up from the minors. You were put on the Mariners roster before their trip to Tokyo against the A's in 2019. Mm. And you got to replace Ichiro. Your big league debut was coming in as a defensive replacement for Ichiro in his final game what was that experience like the whole thing was so crazy because i remember in i think it was the summer of 2018 was when it came out or maybe a little bit before that it came out like hey the 2019 season's gonna open in japan and i remember seeing it was mariners a's and i was like oh my gosh like that's like right around the time like i should be getting close like I'm gonna freaking I'm gonna make that roster. Like I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna whatever I gotta do. And uh and then that some in the summer of eighteen I wound up breaking my forearm on a hit by pitch. So then I had surgery and like I can remember through the whole rehab process, I'm like, Oh god, there's no chance. Like you know, if I kept playing the way I was playing at the time, I probably would have got September call up uh in two thousand eighteen. 
but now obviously that couldn't happen and you know i'm rehabbing like okay i gotta find a way so luckily rehab went well i went home 18 off season you know had a really good off season uh and then 19 went to spring training and uh, malik's hurt his elbow uh right away so he wasn't gonna be ready and so i remember uh scott service pulled me in his office like hey you're gonna play a lot you know we'll see what happens he didn't like say i was gonna make the team or anything but i knew i had a really good opportunity and then uh you know i think obviously preparation meets a little bit of luck and a couple breaks go your way and then next thing you know uh found myself on that japan roster and you know just the whole entire you know having that be your first big league experience was just so crazy you know different country different culture you know huge stadium you know sold out you know ichiro you know being like a ghost over there and then getting to experience that whole thing and then at the same time you know making a debut and you know realizing like okay I did it, but you're having like all these like Hollywood moments with Ichiro and uh, the whole entire, you know, country being there to support him. Uh, it was so crazy. I mean, I, I'm happy I have videos and pictures to remember those memories. Even though it was for a short time, what was it like having Ichiro as a teammate? You know, it's so crazy because you'd think he'd be, you know, he, he has like a very quiet vibe and he does his own thing. And, you know, he's so, he's so routine based, but like at the same time, he's like the coolest dude. He was always willing to help. Uh, you know, he's, he's so unassuming for a superstar. Um and I mean, just like like perfect examples, like last year, I you know went through my whole spleen thing, and then I was coming back and rehabbing. And when the team was on the road, I would stay in Seattle to continue to rehab. And Ichiro was like the guy who would throw to me, play catch. Um, it was me and Hanniger, and so like we're with them every day. And like he just, I don't know, it's so weird to see like a superstar, and he's just like going about his business and you know he's got nothing to really prepare like he's not in the big leagues anymore so it's like he's just doing it because he loves it and loves helping so it was it was super you know amazing to be around him every day so for you you stay on the roster for the japan series you end up then going to tacoma where you played 43 games and then you eventually get called back up to seattle for you, what was the grind of your first major league season like? Was it different than any minor league season? What do you feel like you prepared for well? And what do you feel like you know now you have to improve upon in order to be a better major leaguer? I know that seems like an overly simplistic question, but I'm sure that there's little intricacies that you know you've got to get better at. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think even if, um, you know, if you took, you were interviewing Mike Trout right now. I'm sure he'd still say he's got plenty to work on. You know, I think that's what makes great players great. Um, I think 
you know, minor leagues is a hundred times different. You know, I, I really, I don't know if there's ever a point where a player is like, yeah, he's ready because it's just a totally different game. I mean, the resources and the sheer number of staff um, that help you prepare is completely different. You know, you have a hitters meeting, like game one of a minor league series. Uh, you have a hitters meeting every single day, and you break down every single pitcher um, with data and analysis and visual and experience. Uh, where in the minor leagues, it's, you know, hey, here's my sheet of true media and, you know, a couple of guys have faced them a couple of years ago and this is what I see, you know, go get them. So, you know, you rely so much off of like experience and your own um, at-bats against pitchers. Uh, whereas in the big leagues, so much is numbers driven. So you're like, okay, do I rely on what I felt or do you rely on, you know, the numbers that are like, Hey, 73% this pitch and this count, you know? So I think it's like when I went up, it's, I didn't do a very good job of filtering that, you know, like what I see compared to what I'm being told and given. So I think like that's a really good opportunity, you know, when you go back to, you know, kind of filter better and try and figure that out. Um, you know, I think it was the first time in my career I'd ever been in a fourth outfield, you know, bench role. And that's so different. You know, if you do that and, you know, if you put me in, in a, back in, in Clinton and you made me a fourth outfielder, bench role like that's gonna be hard to produce because it's just you're not getting consistent at bats and you might go you know three days without playing and then get a start against you know whoever's pitching but then you try and do it in the big leagues and it's like okay I, I didn't play I didn't play then I'm facing Garrett Cole I didn't play I didn't play I'm facing John Lester you know so you're like it's just uh a lot of things different than what you're used to and I think uh, if I could go back there's some things I would change to try and adapt quicker but at the same time you're in a new experience so you kind of let gotta let it play its course so you can learn from it um, and you know I'm good with that because I know I put everything I could to give my best and you know just like spring training where I made the team go to Japan and you know played well some breaks went my way I got lucky it was a complete opposite you know when I was up there it was like I wasn't playing great I was getting no breaks and I didn't really get a lot of luck so you kind of just got to take it for what it is and keep moving forward and uh, not let it affect you too much. I think that's very well put and you understanding all sides of it and knowing what exactly you have to do in order to progress forward and not exactly let the results get you down. Because as we like to say in golf, sometimes the good putts don't go in and the bad putts do. So I don't know why I just made a golf reference there. Maybe because I got golf on my mind, but uh, in any event, Braden, you went to the university of Washington 
Your younger brother, Hunter, who is now in the San Francisco Giants organization, went to Arizona State. How fun is it having a Pac-12 rivalry among siblings? Yeah, no, it's cool. Definitely a cool dynamic. You know, I, I wanted him to go to UW, and I think he envisioned himself go to UW. But I think one thing that Hunter and I differ on is I have, you know, been baseball's in my primary uh, sport since I was five years old. You know, I played football and basketball, hockey, soccer, everything growing up, but I knew I wanted to play baseball. Whereas he has been, you know, he, he came to baseball a little later because, you know, at first he wanted to golf and then, you know, he wanted to be a singer and he's pretty artistic and creative. So, you know, he's kind of doing some of that stuff. And then he went to high school and did the same football, baseball, basketball, that stuff. And then uh, he wound up picking baseball late in high school. And <laughs> he like grew to, he grew from like 5'10 to 6'4 and from like 180 to 210. So you're, he's like a 6'4, 210 pound senior. And then all of a sudden their team's like, holy smokes, dude, you're a left handed hitter. You hit. You got power, you can run. So then, like, Padres want to draft them out of high school, but we're like, Hunt, you got to go to college. Like, you're not ready. And so he turned some money down out of high school, and he was pissed. And then uh, he goes to ASU, and he, you know, he had a good freshman year, not a good sophomore, and then obviously his junior year was stupid. Um, and then... You know, the whole, but the whole time, you know, I, you know, I love you, Dub. It was like the greatest three years of my life. But, you know, once I left, I kind of closed the yearbook a little bit. So I am a proud Husky alum, but at the same time, I was rooting pretty hard for ASU when Hunt was there. Uh, you know, it's cool to, you know, encourage him and be part of his journey and career because I went through literally the same thing he did you know, Pac-12 draft and, you know, now minor leagues for him. Favorite Pac-12 road trip, least favorite Pac-12 road trip? Least favorite by far is Washington State. Like, not even close. Um, I knew you were going to say that. I absolutely <laughs> knew you were going to say and that. We went, there, we went there one time, and it was it was my, my junior – yeah, so my freshman year, we played him in Pasco. Uh, at the Tri Cities Stadium, and you know that wasn't wasn't great, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible, and it was like decent weather. It was like just starting to get into summer, so it wasn't like too hot. Uh, and we swept them, and then um, my sophomore year they came to us, and then my junior year we went to Pullman, and that was the first time I'd ever been. It was like snowing sideways. Like, the games are super long. There's, like, snow everywhere. It was just – and, you know, and it was, I think it was, uh, like, mom's weekend or something like that. So there was no hotel. So we had to stay in Idaho and then bus, like, an hour to get there. So Did you just, stay in Lewiston? I Lewiston, think, Idaho? Yeah, I think so. Like, a red lion in Lewiston. It was – it was pretty tough. Um, I've stayed in that same hotel. I yeah. was there for a wedding at the end of September. That's the reason why I've actually been to Washington State's campus. It's so random. 
but I was actually there for a wedding. It was quite an experience, to say the least. That's pretty random. Um, and then my favorite, oof, there's a, some great cities. I mean, obviously, you go to L.A., uh, the Arizonas are pretty cool. We only, we went to, I think one of the coolest I went on was my sophomore year. We went to ASU when they played at the old at Packard, and that was just, I mean, such an experience. Uh, like, so uh, it was it was so cool uh, to play in that stadium and they were pretty good and we were good. And I think we took two or three from them, uh, like walked them off on Sunday. Uh, so it was, that was one of the coolest, but I think one of my favorite cities is Salt Lake and Utah for sure. I love Salt Lake. I feel like Salt Lake is a very underrated town for the fact that it feels like a big city, but not too big. But they've also got really good food there. Oh, which yeah. No, so I've, underrated. I've loved going to Salt Lake. Yeah, it's We're so here underrated. with Braden Bishop on MLB Morning Coffee. Braden, for you, as you try and get ready for this upcoming season, what are you doing physically to stay ready? Because you can't go to a gym right now. You're obviously home. You're not in Seattle or in Arizona. So what can you do right now to be able to stay ready? You know, I think, so I got super lucky and uh, we have like a full gym here at the house. So like workout wise and training wise, I haven't, you know, taken, I've actually probably taken steps forward. Uh, you know, I've been sprinting, doing speed stuff. Um, agility stuff and then obviously weightlifting so feel good there hitting wise gotta get a little creative because you know it's you don't have a full cage at the house but luckily i got a little half cage so i've been hitting uh t and flips and then trying to get creative with some wiffle ball stuff just to try and like recreate some competitive you know whether it's spin or whatever um and then i think more than anything and i think most people are probably doing it is just you know trying to get creative and how you can get better um you know i think some people are in better situations than others uh, but i think at the end of the day we're kind of all uh you know on the same playing field in terms of how ready we'll be when when and if we do start I have kept you for a while here, Braden, and I sincerely appreciate your time. I do want to give you, in these final couple of minutes, a platform to talk about your newest venture, which is called Cognition Coffee. Now, I didn't know that you were a big coffee guy, <laughs> and I feel like coffee is the good that is bringing us joy during this time of difficulty around the world. So tell me about Cognition Coffee what the purpose of it is and where they can go to order some. Yeah. So, you know, with the, obviously being a Alzheimer's charity and, you know, have huge emphasis on brain health and, you know, the course of the last like four or five years, I've done a lot of research on, you know, how foods and, 
you know, certain things you put in your body can affect your brain and your cognition, obviously. And, you know, I've always loved coffee. And, you know, as you do research and you find out the benefits of it and of, of good, like clean coffee, um, you know, because it's also, you know, one of, it can be one of the most, um, you know, pesticide filled, you know, agriculture products. So, you know, finding those clean, you know, coffee roasters, coffee beans, uh, you know, can provide great benefits and antioxidants to people. And, you know, I mean, you drink coffee, you wake up in the morning and you have like a good solid, you know, cold brew or a good solid cup. You know, you just feel like, you know, you feel like your mental clarity kind of goes up a little bit. You feel like you lock in, you know, whether it's placebo or real, you know, you feel like that cup kind of does it for you. And like, I know for myself, like I enjoy the morning because of the coffee. So, um, you know, I've always wanted to start um a coffee you know shop coffee brand and i thought there was no better way to do it than to kind of intertwine brain health with you know the actual brand and intertwine it with for mom and uh well you know they're gourmet organic uh beans from brazil and south america and you know, I freaking went through so many taste tests to get to the right one because I have like a very certain, you know, fruity, smooth uh, taste I like to my coffee. So got to the ones I liked and then, uh, you know, I realized how that, you know, we could sell this and then have part of it be, you know, go back to the charity and help us with what we're doing. And so, you know, it slowly came together and made a lot of like good connections and just kept an open mind, you know, had some frustrating days, but, you know, somehow got to where we can, you know, actually sell product. And, you know, I'm excited about it because it really tastes really, I mean, it tastes really good. Um, it's what I drink every morning now because I basically custom made it. So uh, it's good. And, you know, we're selling it for, for 18 because it's the gourmet organic and then we'll donate a dollar back to the charity uh, with every purchase. Um, so we're currently on Instagram. It's cognition.coffee.company on Instagram. On Twitter, we're at Cognition Coffee. And then our website is cognitioncoffeecompany.com. And then that's where you can order the, the coffee and uh, hopefully we progress and, you know, get into some Whole Foods or some supermarkets and then, you know, get some cold brew in, in cans so people can uh, get them ready to drink. I am super excited to try it. Uh, I know for a fact that a lot of gourmet coffee companies sell their bags for around $18. So, folks, go out there, order it, Cognition Coffee Company. Dot com. You are doing a lot of good for a lot of people by doing this. If you want to donate to the 4Mom Foundation, visit 4Mom. That's the number 4Mom.org. Braden Bishop, thank you so much for joining us here today, man. Best of health to you as always. Thank you, Gregor. It was a pleasure. Braden Bishop here on MLB Morning Coffee. 
Have a great rest of your day, everybody. And as always, we will catch you in the AM.